Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic D Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, Ohio beekeeper Michelle Colopy from the Ohio Pollinator Habitat Initiative is going to talk about efforts to protect the bees in Ohio. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper Tom Theobald. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, June. We had our first hard freeze this morning. It was 22 degrees, so that pretty much terminates anything that might have been out there for the bees. We're experiencing nice weather here, and you can still see bees foraging as the growing season comes to an end. I'm sure Michelle is also experiencing the same thing. So I'd like to welcome back to the show, Michelle Colopy. Yes, thank you. It's uh, good to be here. Michelle, how are things going with your bees? My bees are doing fine. Uh, I live in the northern part of Ohio, so I'm in the lake effect area. So we haven't had any frosts yet, so there's still some goldenrod lingering and some of those invasive plants like Japanese knotweed. Uh, so, but they're great for bees. I know it's an invasive, <laughs> so I'm, I'm torn between not wanting an invasive and wanting to feed my bees. So, I completely understand where you're coming from, and while they are great for pollinators, they can take over your yard. I've actually done a number of interviews about invasive species, and it's quite interesting how beneficial many of these species are to our pollinators. What are the threats facing Ohio's pollinators? Well, certainly, Ohio pollinators uh, are facing kind of a variety of threats because the state is really, if you, you can almost cut the state in half on the western side, it's large agriculture, it's pumpkins, we've got tomatoes, we have orchards, we, of course, have corn and soy. And on the eastern part, it is really mostly um, urban areas. So for the urban and the backyard beekeepers, most of the issues are uh, mosquito abatement programs as well as home uh, consumer use of pesticides. And you on the other side of the state, it's all big agriculture, so it's a lot of the agricultural pesticides. Why was this initiative created, and who's involved? Well, it was created actually through some folks at the Fish and Wildlife Service here in Ohio. So, yes, the federal agency, but uh, located here in Ohio. And they started looking at the rusty patch bumblebee and the habitat for that, or the lack of habitat for the rusty patch bumblebee, and started realizing that there were different groups doing some habitat projects, but nothing was coordinated. We didn't, say, have a map in order to try and connect the habitats. And we realized there were so many 
different groups that could be part of pollinator habitat, whether it was utility companies, government offices, Department of Transportation, um, local parks. Uh, so they really, you know, a lot of that idea expanded out of fish and wildlife, and she just kept reaching out to different partners um, and certainly co kind of coordinated everybody. So she was acting as a link if somebody had a question about, you know, in southern Ohio we want to create um, – pollinator plantings on the roadside, who has already done it, and there were some counties in the western part of Ohio that had. So she was doing a lot of connecting people. And from that, uh, a number of us, I know Denise Ellsworth at Ohio State University and I, were really focused on how do we get the Ohio State Pollinator Plan process going. And with the Habitats Initiative and Habitat Initiative's assistance, they contacted the State Department of Agriculture and they said, yeah, sure, go ahead and start on a state plan. So we started on the state plan and got uh, stakeholder meetings uh, set up. We've had two already. We have three more coming. And we um, contacted people to act as lead writers for the different sections. We're basing our table of contents, really, not the plan itself, just the table of contents on the Wisconsin plan. But we did add a section about uh, mosquito control programs because that is an issue in, in our state. So the writers will uh, take information from the stakeholder meetings, from their own experts. We'll put the, um, the draft plan out for public comment, and we hope to release it in June of next year during National Pollinator Week. So we, are, you know, we, we worked very hard to include a variety of people. Um, the Habitat Initiative actually held a symposium also at the end of August. We had over 300 people at that symposium to educate them about pollinator habitat. So we've been moving along. We did have a little hiccup when the State uh, Department of Agriculture said we could not call ours a state pollinator protection plan because they felt uh, State Departments of Agriculture owned that name. So we are calling ours the Ohio Pollinator Habitat uh, Conservation and Protection Plan. So uh, whatever works, I, I don't really care anymore. So as long as it works, and we've had great success at the two stakeholder meetings, We've got three more coming here at the end of October. We have an online survey that Ohioans can complete. We've had over 200 people complete that online survey if they can't attend a stakeholder meeting. So we're really making a strong effort to reach out to the stakeholders across the state for those gardeners, homeowners, consumers of food products, so that they can also give their input to, to our state plan. Michelle, I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, is this... State Department of Agriculture working on a parallel program, and how will this play out? Will there be two? Will you have yours and they'll have theirs, or will yours be absorbed under theirs? Or what does the future hold for these plans and for the pollinators and for the beekeepers? Well, that is that is kind of a, a bit of an unknown. The State Department of Agriculture has intimated that they have one person working on the state plan. Um, don't know if that's actually happening. This is an election year, so things can change after the election. Um, but uh, at the moment, we are working on, our, and our committee is working on the fact that this will be the state plan for Ohio because we have so many people involved and uh, stakeholders who have that initial buy-in. Since we'll be putting it out for public comment, I think the fact of our process will certainly get it out to the public more and get their buy-in long before any state plan. So it, it'll be interesting to see if the State Department of Agriculture comes up with something. But 
at the moment we are working on this as this will be the state plan. That's how. how at a national at a national level, these uh, state plans are supposed to be focused on protection, I believe. And how would yours provide protection for the bees and beekeepers, or or could it? Well, and it, it still will certainly because we have to protect the habitat, and in order to conserve something, you have to provide protection. And I kept fighting even in our revised title that it still had the word protection in it because that is the only way we will be able to protect the rusty patch bumblebees habitat and beekeepers. So it really, it you know, none of these plans, none of them across any of the 50 states have any enforcement criteria to them whatsoever, none of them. They are all based on good suggestions, also known as best management practices. Why do you, it's all why, voluntary. That, why do you think that's the case? Why is it because, because there is no money for any enforcement, and in order to enforce, then it becomes a regulatory document, and to get all of this passed through regulation, it would be another 40 to 50 years, I think, before that would happen, quite bluntly. Um, so, but in the end, in you know, most of these state plans are a tool to reach out to all the stakeholders and get them to a table and sit down and talk to each other, which they have not done since um, all these chemicals started getting introduced when they couldn't be used for warfare anymore. So we have to get people to sit down and talk to each other, and for some reason, for 40 to 80 years, they don't want to do it. The agricultural stakeholders across the, the realm, it's just no one wants to talk to each other about how they're using the products, why they're using them, if they truly need to, and when they use them, so and and the effects of them on their neighbor, whether the neighbor is another farmer, uh, you know, uh, or their neighbor is a school that has playground equipment, or their neighbor is a beekeeper. So it's a tool to bring these stakeholders together to understand and value pollinators, and then it's a tool to educate homeowners that just because you go and buy a gallon of some product at the store at a big box hardware store for pest control, one, do you really have pests? And two, read the directions because using a gallon goes against the directions on these products. Just because you bought a gallon doesn't mean you should use a gallon. So we look at these as an educational tool. And as we are doing our stakeholder meetings, we are asking these stakeholders, what are the threats that you see to pollinators? What are the action steps in order to address these set threats? and what groups or entities in Ohio can make these changes so that we're truly encouraging people. We can't have these pie-in-the-sky ideas. Who can help solve these problems? And it is, and, and a lot of it is coming down to its education. We need to educate okay. everybody in the process because regulation is not going to solve the issue. I'm reluctant to be the one to rain on the parade, but this is my <laughs> 41st year of beekeeping, and... I've seen these kinds of stakeholder meetings and communication efforts going on indefinitely. And as a commercial beekeeper, I look at these state programs as the final disenfranchisement of the bees and beekeepers because where it started was with federal law, what's commonly referred to as the bee caution, has the force of federal law, but what's happened over time is the beekeepers have been slowly manipulated into a position where 
they will now have a program that provides no uh, protection, as you've touched upon, um, no enforcement, no money, no nothing. So the federal law becomes nothing, and it's a it's a subversion of federal law through administrative fiat. And that, these state programs are raise great questions of concern for the beekeeping industry. And I agree with you, but and, and I agree with even the history. I realize your long history in beekeeping, and I've been reading a lot of that history of beekeeping, and, we, and, and the beekeepers for 40, 50, 60, 70 years since these chemicals started being used on crops and in the environment where our bees go, we have always said, well, we have to talk to each other, but nothing has ever changed. So we are still missing the part of talking to each other. And I hear that from farmers who don't have any understanding of the value of pollination. I hear it from beekeepers who still want to just be able to put their bees wherever they want to and not even tell the farmer they're there. So we still have a communication issue, but it does come down to education of people, whether they are beekeepers or your neighbor who isn't a beekeeper. And we, But there has to be follow-through, and there is no follow-through. If we have a document that, as here in Ohio, we want to do, we want to make it very interactive. We want people to be able to go on to it and say, I've planted habitat here, or how can I link my habitat with what the parks are doing, or how can I get the park to plant habitat? It takes people to go to the institutions to make the change, because the institutions aren't going to do it without also being getting some support. Like even in my community with the mosquito control, the mosquito control officer wanted to use a short residual toxicity product to control mosquitoes. It was less harmful to bees, but it cost more money. He needed the support of beekeepers at that city council meeting behind him to say, yes, we want our taxpayer dollars used to buy the more expensive mosquito control product so that our bees will be harmed less. But it takes, you know, you, the, those beekeepers have to be there to support those institutional changes and the beekeepers have not been there they make a statement of well we want this and then they go away because we are not organized and in some of these state efforts what i have found in other states is that then the beekeepers start to realize they are way behind the eight ball and they start to organize better in their states but before they just aren't organized it's everybody doing their own thing and that's just not helping the issue obviously when history has shown us nothing has changed in 40 50 60 years and I agree with you. Nothing has changed. This is the same argument that was fought in 1973 with that document that uh, is printed in Bee Culture where um, so many of the um, fathers of a lot of the beekeepers today fought the fight about um, half a million colonies were killed every year from pesticides. Well, why hasn't anything changed from 1973? We're still at the same thing of move your bees with a 48-hour notice, and it's, if your bees die, it's your fault. Well, what, what's happened, though, is we've gone from the position of having a federal law and the, the mantra in the EPA and the regulatory agencies was the label is the law and the bee caution was the federal law. Now that's, that's disintegrated into programs which are totally voluntary, have no money and no enforcement authority, and it's hard for me to understand how this is going to change things. We've talked for 40 years, and nothing has come of it. 
Well, but again, it's mobilizing the state beekeepers. There is not going to be a national I, I just don't think a, a national mandate is going to change diddly squat because of the way FIFRA is written. They give all the primacy to the states. Then you run into state politics and then down to the county-level politics of somebody who owns most of the land and his brother-in-law is the pesticide applicator. Nobody's going to complain. It becomes the local politics issue. So EPA, I, and, and in one sense I understand, EPA is just so tied up in knots they have no idea how to solve this issue, which is why they have never solved the issue from even 1973. So it's going to take the local people to make the decision. So if you get local states like in Maryland, where they've banned neonics, where you've got Minnesota, where they are reassessing neonics there, uh, it's going to take local change that's going to make the difference. But the labels... Don't even protect our bees when it has false information about how bees interact. The, the two exemptions that say that bees don't fly after 3 o'clock or after, uh, less than 55 degrees, that's just flat-out wrong information on those labels because beekeepers were not at the table when those labels were developed because they just they don't, don't have time. They are you know full-time beekeepers, and they're not there at the table to make these changes and have enough influence at the national level to make change for the local folks. So we have labels that well, don't my, my at hope all. would be that my hope would be that this brings some positive results, but I don't And, and I think it's going to bring positive results so. within different states. <clears throat> so I mean, I have a, an email from a communication in one state where the state ag department said we don't care what happens to the native pollinators, we have to have honeybees come in and pollinate our crops and crops make more money. And an academic researcher said, well, you're wrong, sir. We actually get more money from uh, tourism around hummingbirds. So it comes down to money for everybody because that's what drives it. But certainly if you're getting more money from hummingbird tourism, then let's protect the hummingbirds, which are pollinators. Michelle, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope you come back to talk about any updates and successes as they occur. I think that especially with Ohio's state history, which we didn't really get a chance to go into, it, it's got to happen from somewhere. And I think yes. the fact that you're directly involved with this, at least there is hope. Yes. Well, thank you. Yeah, Michelle, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And I want to thank you and all the other people in Ohio who are working on this diligently to try to bring some some sense to this. Yeah, some change. You know, And eventually I think we'll get some model states who are doing some wonderful things, and they will drag the rest of the country along with them. All we can do is keep pushing for that change. Yes. yes. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you, folks, for tuning in. This has been June Sawyer for the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.